Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, and we have got three generations of the Boreen family with us today. We have Joel Boreen. Not true. <laughs> I thought you said not true for a second. <laughs> Actually, you're, you're a hashtag not true. Hashtag not his replacement when he goes on a mission. <laughs> so we got Jared Boreen here. It's glad to be here. Excited. Yep. And we've got his dad, Skip, wearing a matching tie or not matching, actually. I, I'm, it might be a little colorful. close to blue, BYU blue. <laughs> there you go. Got it in. I'm sure we'll talk about BYU at some point here. But um, so we did two episodes last month with families uh, for our Mother's Day special. And this will be our Father's Day special. I am not a father, but continue. Good for you. And I, I wanted to get us started off with a question. What have you really cherished as far as things you learned from your father? And I can start us off here. Um, so a lot of people have heard a little bit about my story in that my dad decided not to live the gospel early on in my life. And uh, my parents divorced. That was a big part of my life growing up. But, you know, I, I think that there are always mixed feelings in those situations. And there's still a lot of things I remember positively about my dad. And one thing is he was a guy that even in his mid-40s, his 50s, he was going to go with the younger guys and play football and all those things. And I, I got a sense of just a lot of adventure and doing fun and cool things uh, from him. And then I think from my stepdad, he was the person I really learned um, service from and how to show up for somebody, even when it wasn't convenient for you, even if it's the middle of the night to show love by showing up and serving people. That's what I learned from him. Um, so I'm grateful to him for that. But Joel, let, let's start with you. Let's go youngest to oldest. What did what have you learned from your dad? All right. Um, you know, probably one of the most notable lessons I learned from him, I remember because he learned it, I believe, from his dad, who's also here, um, which is if you're going to do something, you're going to do it right, and you're going to do it right the first time. And that's something that I've just kind of taken with me to be able to be able to put the work in, but to be able to put the knowledge in and just to be able to be ready to go forth and serve and just, I don't know. And I've just applied it to most aspects of my life. And so that's one thing that I can always be really grateful for. Mm. That was definitely a saying that we heard often growing up. If jobs worth doing, it's worth doing right. And it's worth doing right the first time. So that, that was the, I think the, uh, the, the you know, the, the Marine talking in some regards. But for me, I think the thing that I learned, um, my dad, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, I've learned a ton of things from my dad, but I think not only a love of the gospel, but a dedication. You know, my dad wasn't a member of the church and you need to talk about this a little bit later, but, um, as a kid and joined when, after he uh, married my mom, but when he came in, he was, he was all in. And so when 
when I was, I was his, he was my first companion when we were back in, you know, home teaching days. And, and we went home teaching and we saw our families and whether or not they really wanted us there or not, they, we were there. And, <laughs> you know, I always appreciated that, that we, that we were going to be, you're going to serve and you're going to fulfill your calling as best you can. Um, and, you know, I think that's one thing my dad has, has really uh, epitomized in his life is really, you know, a dedication. Like if he's going to do a calling, he's not going to do it, you know, part way. You know, he's, he's all in. And I've always really appreciated that. And I think I'm going to add a second one in here. And, and I think it's something that I've learned and I've tried to teach my kids is to honor and respect, you know, my mom in this case and for them, for <laughs> yeah. you know, their mom. Yeah. That that's, you know, a really key is that they know that that's where my priorities. If it came down between, between them and Charlotte, <laughs> well, they're, they're the ones that are going to be hitting the highway. So I've heard it a bunch of times that, um, if we had to sacrifice any of the in the family, it's going to be one of the kids because they can always make more of them. <laughs> and you guys have plenty to choose from. We yeah. have like, <laughs> you know, all these other, you know, like you know, the seasonal we, selection. We got, we got options here. We got we got things to choose from. So <laughs> we got replacements already already there. Oh no. So um, but I think that's a really important. I, I know we had a plaque growing, you know, on our walls growing up, and and Charlotte actually has since cross stitch and it's on our wall and it's a, it's it's just one of the, the most important thing a father can do for their children is to love their mother yeah. and and that was something i think my my dad um taught at home and something that i've definitely tried to incorporate into to our childhood or our kid with our kids i like i like that a lot i so Joel, you were either raising your hand. I was raising my hand, talking too much, because you want to. Talk. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to say something, but I didn't want to stop him because. But uh, on that, when he says that he tried to epitomize that, he really does. Like most of our friends, like I'll, I'll talk to my friends, and they'll be like, "Yeah, your dad really likes your mom," <laughs> like. Um, like as well, he should. Yeah, yeah, yeah but He's a pretty likable person. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, one of my friends, Paige Gall, she knows this one line specifically from him uh, because my mom's middle name is just M. And so what he says yeah. is, <laughs> what is it, Dad? Her name is Charlotte. Mm -mm, boring. <laughs> and so now, now whenever, like, <laughs> whenever she comes over or whenever my mom is mentioned to Paige, uh, she just always... Like knee jerk response goes, Charlotte, mm, boring. And it's just, I think that's just so neat that like our friends and we've always just understood that our house is a place of safety and it's a place of love and it's a place where, oh, just like spousal respect. And I, that's one of those like factors in my life that I've really appreciated. Yeah. And I, I, I think I've learned that a lot from you too, Jared. And I haven't really shared that before, but I, I think a lot of the guys in the ward and the stake, we respect you for that. And we, we try to emulate that in our own lives. And I, I think this is probably understandable, especially for somebody who's been married for more than 10 years, is that you can reach that point where things get a little stale or you get in a little bit of a funk where, you know, you, you've been in the same routine for years and years and the romance and the the things like that if you're not careful they can they can fade away and um i think one thing i learned from you that i've incorporated in my own life is you have to 
keep trying to win your wife every day. Like, yeah. and, and sure, teach your kids to respect them and everything like that. But I think one way that you help them to learn that respect is showing them that your wife is the most important person in your life. He's definitely showed and, that. Yeah. <laughs> and that she matters to you more than anything else, right? That, that you put in that time and, and effort in that you genuinely love that person more and more each day. And I, I just admire you for that. Thanks. It's important. Well, this conversation thus far I'm liable to get emotional here at times because this is an example of what the joy is of being a father, of seeing your son and your grandson epitomizing values that I've come to hold near and dear. My dad was a good man. He, uh, he was a little bit older when I was born. He was 38. And so the interactions we could have had might have been different than for example, they were with Jared, but he was an honest man. And he, is, he would always say when he would come back, come in talking about a day in his work, he said, honesty is the best policy. And when he died at his funeral, one of his colleagues, a man that he had known for years, came up to me and said, I want you to know, Skip, that your dad was the most honest man I've ever known. But I, I, I do need to clarify one thing that Jared and, and Joel have said here. The quote in our home was oh. not what they had said. It was, if a job is worth doing, it's worth doing well. It's morphed over the years, I guess. That is not what you said growing up. <laughs> not well, it was right. So you, That's what you heard. That's, that is what I heard. <laughs> well, I mean, what you intended, but that's what came out of your mouth. Well... That, what I just said was what had been drilled into my head by my stepmom as I was growing up, and uh, there was just countless days that I, I heard that and go, rrr, rrr, rrr. but it stuck, and I've tried to epitomize that in my life as well, and obviously it's great to hear that Jared was teaching that to his children as well. Those are the things that bring tears to an old man's eyes. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to segue into how we usually start our show. Um, we're going to skip over Joel. Sorry, Joel. <laughs> um, but I would like to have you guys, Jared, and, and Skip do a brief intro to those who don't know you or might not know you that well. Um, I'm not as exciting. Just talk about maybe what you would share if you were coming to a new ward and introducing yourself. Um, to everybody, to the congregation. I'll start with Jared and then skip here. All right. So um, my name is Jared Boreen. I grew up everywhere and nowhere. Uh, my dad was a Marine, so that meant that I moved around a lot as a kid. Uh, prior to living in this ward, the longest I had ever been in a ward was four years. Um, so I hopped around quite a bit. Um, been all over the, the country. I've been married to my well, now everyone knows beautiful wife, Charlotte <laughs> Boreen. <laughs> For uh, 23 years now, we have four boys. Our oldest just graduated and is getting ready to get his papers turned in, head off on a mission. And Joel is our, our next. He'll be, a, he's a rising senior. You know, and it. then uh, have uh, Sam, who's 14, and Caleb, who is 11. And 
We are a busy household that likes being outdoors. Love national parks. So you didn't forget any of your kids' names, by the way. That was really good. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> we, had, we had President Fuller on, and he didn't. He missed all those kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And Skip, what tell well, us about you? I'm uh, older than a box of rocks. I've got. Uh, we've had eight kids. I, I, when I met my wife, I was a wild-eyed heathen, and uh, she helped me to introduce me to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that changed my life completely. We've uh, we've raised up those eight kids. Uh, unfortunately, our oldest uh, died a couple of years ago of complications of COVID. But because of the gospel that we've learned, we don't look at that with the, the sense of tragedy that a lot of people do. But just like when I was in the Marine Corps, when I'd go on deployment, I'd know that I was coming back and I would see those kids again, and I know I'll see my son Philip again. We've... Uh, Let's see, in October, we'll have been married 53 years. Is that right? Yeah, this is 2023, 53 years. We've got, like I said, eight kids and uh, 30 grandchildren and three great-three great-grandchildren. And yes, I can, I can state the names of all of my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He's like, not to bring In order? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so thank you guys. And so what I, we'll do for the remainder of the show and I'll, I'll prompt Joel here to look too. So we'll, we'll go around the room and, and we have show notes. I think listeners of the show know that we have questions that we have our guests fill out beforehand. And we're just going to ask questions about stories from your lives. Um, I have so, a question real quick. Yeah. Am I officially considered guest or co-host like i would call you a co-host sweet yeah it makes you special yeah i think special so i i wanted to dive in a bit here and first thing i wanted to ask jared about actually is how you got into running because i i never have really talked to you about that but i always see you running around the neighborhood. I think anyone who's known him for a while sees you running around in the heat of summer, dripping sweat, still don't care. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> he so, was running in Hawaii when he was just a young punk kid. <laughs> yeah, so I actually got it. I, I played soccer. Soccer was my main sport um, all growing up. And in Hawaii, soccer is in the wintertime because we only had one field for our sports in, in our schools out there. And so... Follows football, so the only time that field was available was in the winter time. And so, I actually got into cross country there, only with the intention of getting in shape for soccer. <laughs> and so, I, I, but I actually was probably better at the running than I was at soccer, even though I, yeah, I was pretty decent was at soccer. Decent. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, I started running, and I just did it because it was fun, it was social, and I was pretty good at it. I actually made varsity my senior, my freshman year, which was a lot of fun because in Hawaii the state championship was on one of the outer islands. And so you would get to travel to like Kauai or Maui or the big island for the state meet. And it was kind of a big deal. You usually put you up in a really nice hotel with all your teammates. And my freshman year, I bumped a senior the last race of the year to make the state team. And that was kind of a, it was pretty bitter about that. <laughs> and rightly so that this punk freshman stole a spot, but I just really <laughs> learned to really love the competition of it then. 
Um, and then I kind of just dabbled with running a little bit after high school. I'd run every once in a while, but a while ago I was actually, I'm about the weight I am now. I decided I needed to get some weight down. And I, so I started just to run as part of my weight loss. And then I'm like, oh, I'll do a half marathon. I, I do better when I have a goal. Mm-hmm. And I started that goal and I wanted to, you know, do that. But I, I once I started running half marathons, it's just part of my regular training. I'm like, well, this is not that bad. It's I'll a gateway marathon. <laughs> and then I started setting goals for marathons. I wanted to do a 330, my first one. And then I wanted to qualify for Boston and run a 310. And once and now- I did that, I, I actually finally, you know, qualified for Boston and then COVID hit. <laughs> um, but now I just run. I just love running. Running run. is kind of my Zen space. It's my space where I can decompress. Um, if I don't run, I actually start kind of jonesing for it, which I know is everyone's like, that is a sickness, <laughs> but I actually really do love running and you go through withdrawals. Yeah, yeah. I need to, I need to get back down to, uh, to an actual race weight though. I'm, I've, I've pudged up in the last couple of years, <laughs> but I need, I think I need to set it, get a race set so I can have something to work towards. So when I, when I have that goal, I'm very goal oriented in general. So. Death Valley Marathon. The what? Death Valley Marathon. No, thanks. No, thanks. <laughs> But yeah, so that's I. That's how I got it running. So I've ran probably like twelve or thirteen. No, nah, I think thirteen marathons now. That is more than I have fingers. I think there's a lot of a lot of people I've talked to, and I agree with this too. I, I kind of now that we're talking, I'm thinking I need to get back into running too. But a lot of people I've talked to say that they do get that Zen space with the running, and it can even be a, a component of their spirituality is is getting out. Is being outside, escaping a little bit, using their body. Um, Where I really find that true is is when I, so a lot of times I run with the headphones on, but if you turn the headphones off, especially if you're off the the roads and you're off in the trails, you know, we're we're really blessed here where we have the Thurston trails and, you know, it's about an eight, nine mile loop from my house to do the whole trail. And you get up there in the woods a little bit and you're, because there's nobody else out there and you're just by yourself, music off and it's definitely you kind of just get into the rhythm of your heart and then you can kind of start thinking about things and it's definitely where i've had some some neat moments of inspiration and i i definitely value it do you ever get that prompting of take the headphones off yeah i've definitely like been up well (laughs) up there actually sometimes (laughs) i'm always worried because i usually run after work and it's like dusk and i'm like there are totally cougars up here (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, I am not going to know there's a cougar is going to jump, you know, it's going to be here until it's like on my back, especially with these earphones on where I can't hear anything. Like, uh, so there's definitely been, there has been actually a couple of times I'm like, take the earphones off, pay attention. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wonder if that's been that. Then there's other time where it's just, you need to stop and listen to, you know, be quiet for a moment and just leave room for the spirit. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I actually love solo backpacking is for those reasons is when you're out there by yourself it really allows you just to be quiet and be still for a moment and just enjoy the nature but also just be allow yourself to be able to the influence the spirit without so much other things going on around you the buzz and everything else totally i i like that conversation actually of sacred spaces and and finding a place where you connect with God. I mean, I, I think obviously our minds go to the temple. That's that's understandably one of the first places we think of. But for me, even just the park behind our house, uh, Rough Park, 
that's a place where I can often connect better with God than just staying in my home. And and that's become like a sacred space for me. I don't know, Joel, yeah. you've got a, a sacred space for yourself? That... I I mean, I have say I definitely do have a sacred place. I think the very top of Mountain Gate, just overlooking all of yeah, the Jasper Valley, that, I think is that explains because you've taken me up there. Multiple yeah, times. yeah. <laughs> I also just like going down really, really fast on a bike. <laughs> it's there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but I think less sacred spaces and sacred activities. I like like him. I like I like backpacking. I like camping. I like and I don't know. There's something like you would you wouldn't imagine camping trip with a bunch of teenage boys to be like spiritual, but like I don't know. There's nothing like in my opinion that have been more like testimony building than being out with some of your closest friends just laying down and looking at the stars and just talking about God. And that's just so that's been so crucial to me. I've been in young men's a long, long time. And I'll tell you, there's no meeting that happens in any building that is more influential where you can really share a lesson better than you can around a campfire. Yeah. I, I feel like what Joel said, it feels sacred, you know, um, a lot of the time. So that's totally true. I feel like when you're in a church building or in a just a house, like that's nice. And that's, it's the house of the Lord. But like when you're really out in the woods, when you're in a national park or in a campground or even just in rough park, that is, that's God's work. That is his creation on the forefront for you to see. And I think there's just a lot of connection to that. You know, I've enjoyed being out camping, hiking, backpacking with guys as well. But one of the things that happened to me early on that made for my sacred space is uh, not long, a couple of years after I was baptized, I was called to be a, a stake missionary. And uh, and then as a part of that, they asked us to memorize the the missionary discussions that the, uh, that the elders were full-time missionaries would use. And the only time I could do that was getting up early in the morning. And so for me, getting up before everybody else and sitting down now, I'm not memorizing missionary lessons, but that's my scripture study time. And that has been something that's just been so crucial to my days. Uh, that's when I've had some of the, the most profound promptings. And and uh, as a result of our stake president here last year saying we needed to have a scripture journal where we ask alert, okay, what do you want me to learn? And, or something even more specific, where I've now started keeping that ongoing journal that's now up to 40 some pages of just, it might be just a half a sentence or it might be a whole long paragraph or two of thoughts that came to mind that really felt near and dear that I needed to hear. Well, I love that. It's there, there's the sacred space and there's also the sacred time and there can be that magic hour and I've experienced that too early in the morning when everyone's asleep, maybe, and it's just you and you can really connect and focus. Um, and I, I love that concept too that you brought up uh, when scripture study. Uh, it, it seems like we have so many things pointing us in the direction of this is what you study this year, right? With and, and that's so valuable with Come Follow Me or the podcast that we have available to us to kind of guide our study. But I like the idea of bringing it to God too and just saying, 
what am I supposed to learn this year or this day, you know? Or, you know, something else that, that goes along with that. Uh, a long time ago, I decided I was going to be reading out of the Book of Mormon every day. And it didn't matter how much, because right now I, I, I just maybe only read four or five verses, but I read them in depth. But uh, a few nights ago, I was woke up in the middle of the night, I was having a hard time sleeping, just things going through my head that were just bugging me. And I'm praying, you know, Heavenly Father, I really need to get some sleep. Uh, how about, you know, just to help me get to sleep. And I just was having a hard time with it. And then the thought came to mind, get out your Book of Mormon. Because that'll put you to sleep. Well, just, just, <laughs> just, just back off, big guy. You don't have any NyQuil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Uh, Mark Twain said something about the Book of Mormon. Uh, Mark Twain? Uh, yeah, he, he said it had something about it. It was put you to sleep automatically. You know, was, <laughs> but what happened was more beautiful in that I went back to the chapter I'd been reading, and I just read that. And as I read that, I felt the most calm and peaceful feeling in my heart, that sense of being loved. And I, when I finished that chapter, I put my phone down and went right to sleep. <laughs> and it wasn't because it put me to sleep. It's because the Spirit of the Lord in the things I was reading gave me the calm peace to allow me to sleep. To be able to put your mind to rest. Yeah, that his, his love can be so many things, and it can be what you need it to be at that time. And for you, part of that was just feeling calm and being at peace. But I had to yeah. do something. Yeah. I couldn't lay there in bed going, please let me sleep, please let me sleep. I had to actually yeah. make an act of faith that this was going to be something that would help. Yeah, totally. I like I love that conversation, guys. Let's, let's go to Joel. Hi, I'm Joel. Joel, what questions do you have for your grandpa or for your dad? Let's let's go around the room here and start with you. Okay. Um, so this is just something I like asking people uh, because I know specifically you two have, have been to a lot of places and a lot of really interesting places. So just question for the room. What is the most beautiful of the, like, of the places you've been, been deployed or served or just traveled, what was the most beautiful? Wow. You know, I go back to this a lot of times that, you know, I've been a lot of different places in the world. The Marine Corps is a maritime force. You see a lot of coastlines. But as I think back on it, the most beautiful coastline I think I've ever seen is the Oregon coast. And I tell people that all the time. The, uh, the the rocky, the rocks, the, the trees, the, the ocean, the fact that the ocean is cold and you don't want to get in it, it has nothing <laughs> to do with it. But, uh, and it's not as crowded as a lot of other coasts. So I'd have to say, you know, the, the Oregon coastline. That cracks me up just thinking about the coldness of the water because we moved here from florida about five years ago oh man <laughs> one of our first trips i think it was either to newport or seaside i think it was newport actually and the kids they're used to the florida water where you can actually go into the water <laughs> to warm up because it's like 80 degrees and they they throw off their yeah. shirts they run into the water and they're like what the heck? <laughs> you guys probably Dad, even you didn't tell me about this <laughs> you guys yeah. probably even said the word beach Ugh. I was cracking up. Yeah, you don't call it a beach here. It's the, the coast. coast. Yeah. <laughs> they don't got beaches. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't 
that's a hard question to answer because there's so many different types of beauty. I mean, there's the beauties of the Red Rocks of Southern Utah. Mm, yeah. Know, there's the beauty of the, like, the Nepali coastline on, on Kauai, which I really love. Um, but I think of all the places, I, I really love the mountains. I love being in the mountains. And, um, you know, I, I thought the time when we were out in Switzerland, that Lauterbrunnen area was, that was pretty, so cool. pretty epic. Um, but I do love Glacier National Park probably the most of anything. Man. One of the things about that one is because it's just, I mean, especially when you get off the main roads, it's, you're, it's just rugged and you can be out there by yourself. I, I love being in the woods by myself. And it's just these grand, huge peaks and it's just incredible. And I love alpine beauty. So yep. I'd probably go with, with Glacier. I love that for you, but I also don't love the fact that I've never been there. We'll get there. Okay, fine. We'll get there. Yeah, I, I would say for me, I, I'm butting in here, but for me, it's like a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Pebble Beach. No, I, for me, it's my, my like, my favorite place, if if you said like your last day of life, where would you spend it? Assuming like I'll be with my family and we'll, I would go to Tokati um, <laughs> over on the Mackenzie Highway. Really, Tokati? Oh, it's it's beautiful. It's in the mountains. It's secluded. It looks like a national park walking around. Yeah, but like with a mowed lawn. Yeah, but I get to play golf there. <laughs> He's got the beauty scenery. Plus, he gets to swing a club. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I like that. I like that question, Joel. So, Jared, what do you have questions for for Joel or or for your dad? It's like, what? did you do your homework? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're at the end of the year. It's almost over. We're, yeah, we're not worried about homework. You're gonna hook up um, to a lie detector. If you want. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you actually had one. <laughs> um, I think for my dad. So when you were working, you know, in the Marine Corps, you're traveling um, quite a bit. How did you manage those those long tours? Because I mean, I was a little kid, so I don't remember them as much. But like, you were gone for like a year at a time. Well, the only I did the the first tour was thirteen months, and uh, that was thirteen months. And uh, we we just had the three kids at that time, three little ones, uh, Philip, Josh, and Nicole. She was I think a year and a half old at the time, and so. But it was really, you just did it a day at a time. That was, you know, the only way you could, you know, you, you'd keep yourself busy. I would, uh, at that time, I ran a lot. Uh, huh. And uh, just, oh. you know, it, but uh, okay. that was just a way to, to, you know, just focus your time and energy. And I didn't even have headphones. I just ran. Yeah, you didn't know <laughs> this, but your, your grandfather ran a marathon too. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Is it my turn next? And can, uh, can I say no? <laughs> can I say no? no? Nobody's been recording no. you. No, nobody's holding you to that requirement. <laughs> it's in your blood. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was, and like your mother has said that as well, that you just did it a day at a time. You don't worry about what's coming up. You just say, okay, what do I got to take care of today? Yeah, because I travel a lot. And after or two days, I'm like, I'm ready to be home. Man, that third day is brutal. I'm like, yeah. Well, it's the first few days that you're gone are the hardest because you're still still missing, still close to the family at home. But after you've been gone a week or two, then you know you're you don't have that that closeness of the connection like that, which is harder to be a you know step away from you. You're just into doing your job and the things that you have to do on a day by day basis. 
So when you were in like Okinawa, were you, did you have like callings? Uh, no. Huh. No, because we were, you know, on and off the island so much. We would go to 10 church there, but uh, we did not get callings per se. Yeah. When I was aboard ship, I was a, uh, what was called a group leader because we had a few uh, people uh, that were members of the church that we, and I was responsible for setting up sacrament meetings and things like that. But uh, no, and then the other times I was deployed, it was a six-month deployment, although the last one turned into seven. But so we didn't have, con and the last one, both all of them, I was on and off the island a lot, so it was difficult to try to have a calling per se. Okay, I have a follow-up question. We have a young young guy in our that uh, I've been working with forever. He's getting ready to get married. They have a child on the way, and he's looking at joining the Navy. What advice did you have for him that I could share with him about how is he going to be able to help make sure that he's able to stay rooted, you know, find help that he needs out there within the you know the military world that in. Uh, for not only for, for him, but it's for his family. The the thing that he's going to need to do is find other members of the church wherever he's stationed. If he's aboard ship, there will undoubtedly be a few. He needs to look for them, find them, and then when they have church services aboard ship, take part in that. When people go off ship, go with other members, and uh, and that will help him to, to stay protected. Because as a young enlisted man in the Navy, he's going to have a very difficult time uh, because of the all the forces are going to be trying to pull him different ways away from the gospel, away from his family. But any place he goes, he can find members. And his group leader, and uh, when he's wherever he's stationed, the chaplains there will be able to help him find other members of the of the, the church and uh, where services are. And it's a lot easier now than it was when I was in. I remember as a kid growing up, um, any random holiday we'd be out, if we were, we'd, my dad would inevitably show up with some random mer young Marine, enlisted Marine that like didn't, just didn't have a place to go. And, oh. and so we always had just people at our house. So, you know, we didn't, didn't grow up with cousins um, or, you know, grandparents really. So we always had people for, for those holidays, for those. Uh, and I always, always admired that. It seems like it's carried over into the next generation. Oh, in spades. <laughs> Every time I've been over to your house. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and that's one of the things I'm proudest of them yeah. of is that their home is, is such an oasis of safety and, and welcoming to so many people in their community. That's that's one of the things that I just love and I'm noticing that my friends are starting to catch up on uh, is that there's just always people over. Like you can show up at any time <laughs> and be like, hey, um, <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I have dinner? And then there's usually something for you. Usually, well, I, I do have a question about that and I, I apologize because I know it's a little challenging how I'm going to word it here, but I think there are a lot of earnest people who care about others and you know want to connect with people in their ward and in their their community but there's some about their house where it's like yeah i can go meet you at church but i get pretty anxious about people coming in the house especially 
you know, in and out throughout the week. I just, I wonder how can we get over maybe that anxiety and that resistance to open up our home to other people sometimes? Because I, I think it's a natural feeling that a lot of us have an angst about maybe how the house looks or maybe we're a little more introverted and it's it's hard to always be around but i, I just wondered any thoughts on that nike has a, a solution for that <laughs> just do it <laughs> <laughs> no, i think i think charlotte said uh you know because we were talking about this earlier like i i tend to want to be the one that keeps the house you know looking like a certain way and and she says my house is is a workspace not a museum so yeah. go Charlotte. It's, this is, this is, it's a place where, you know, if games happen, things happen. And I, I tend to be like, well, I, I just got these shoes put away. I got to get things away. And that's, it's always shoes. It's always shoes. It's always, usually they're yours. So, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but I think, you know, in the, in the scriptures, there's, you know, that, like the story of Mary and Martha, yeah. where, where, uh, you know, I'm gonna get Mary was the one that wanted to, to be there listening to Christ. Or Martha was so worried about doing all the other stuff. I tend to be the one that wants to be the the Martha and Charlotte's the one that's the Mary is like, it'll be fine. See, and that's why they're a good compliment. And, but I've always, our house is all like growing up, we always had a lot of kids at our house. Um, we've always had a lot of other people there. So I think I just, it's just what I grew up with. And so that's what I'm supposed natural, but we don't just, when we moved into the ward, we actually started just inviting people over because we didn't know anybody and we wanted to to make friends. And then now yeah. it's so much driven by our our kids. Where you know, one day I, I called and Charles had all of Caleb's friends came over, and then I called back and Caleb's friends were all gone, and all Joel's friends came over. And you know, it's it's just one door after another. Where it's when Andrew and Joel leave, our grocery bill is not going to, you know, go down by two people. It's going to go down by like 20. Because we, we have so many kids that just, you know, come in. But at the same, why, you know, we joke about that. I wouldn't want it any other way because yeah. I want our place to be a place where the kids feel comfortable, um, where they can have a lot of fun. Because, I mean, there's two different reasons for that. One, it's because it's, I have a lot of fun having so many kids, you know, the other night we're, teaching some kids how to play cards and yeah. that was a lot of fun. And um, so I enjoy that part, but it also, I know that we're where they're at and I know that they're not getting into trouble and they're being yeah. surrounded by good people. And so I can kind of see who they're with. And so it's a, it's a double-edged sword in that regards. And it cuts both ways in my positive direction. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, you kind of run what I was going to bring up, but like the other day I was, I was talking to our, uh, my mom about this and uh, I was just asking. So we we are, always have people over, and we always thrash the house and probably raise <laughs> the, the the grocery bill by a lot because of how much we eat here. Like, is it like, <laughs> are you, like, are you excited for that to be done? And she's she's just like, no, I'm just happy to know where you guys are, know that these guys have somewhere to be, and just that, like, even if the house gets like trashed, like, just to like know that we like. That there's stuff happening here, and that this is a a safe place for as many people as possible. I think that's important. Yeah, I think there's some friends that even after the kids, these older kids are gone, there's a couple of them that I, I don't see disappearing um, completely. I He's imagine up. there's going to be some of them that are going to be just there's part of our family now, and that's just the way it is, and that's okay. Yeah. And we're yeah. glad we're glad to have them. No, and I I think that it's it's a reward in and of itself opening up yourself your your heart and your home like that 
Um, but I, I think it also pays dividends down the road a lot of the time, you know, whether it's with adults or with, with youth that are coming in and out of your, your home and, and in and out of your life. Um, sometimes that has the payoff down the road when their marriage falls apart, when they're struggling at school, when other things happen and they feel that safety with you. Um, and I just, I want to say it's another thing I admire about you and Charlotte, Jared, is, is that people know they have a safe place to go with you. And I, I think that's really admirable. That's, Thanks. Can I add to this? Um, so I don't know, like maybe a personal example. Like I remember I was talking to one of my friends that was uh, over and she was like, yeah, like, I really needed to be over right now because like her home life was in a really rough place and her parents were not in a place where she wanted them to be. And she was just like, this, this is so much better. And the, is just that we were, that she was able to have a, a place of safety when one was not provided in the home. It just, I don't know. It's such a blessing to me that we were able to provide that. What's funny is that our house is, so, you know, 930, that's scriptures and prayers. And whoever's in the house, 930, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And some of these kids, they just are like, all right, this is what we're doing now. And, <laughs> and there's a couple of the kids that like, I swear they stick around solely for that. And it's it's kind of a neat thing because not all of them are members of the church, but they're just to say that's just what we do at our house. And so you're in their house, you're part of the family at this moment. So you're going to get the opportunity to, and it's it's fun because right? you you know we're, we just read from the New Testament right now, and you know it's sometimes you have twelve kids you know in, in a circle mm -hmm. all taking turns reading, and it's it's kind of a fun experience to be able to see them, you know, all just. All right, this is what we're doing. And some of them pull up there on their phones and they have like the, you know, the different, you know, not, they're not using the King James or using yeah. the NIV or something. And you're like, oh, that's how that's, they that say it. That was a little different. Yeah. That was a little different, but it's kind of fun just to hear them be able to share that. So that's, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, Do you have an order to how you have these questions laid out? No, actually, we just cherry pick. We we pick what we want to ask. So I, yeah, we've not talked about this, anything on this list. Hardly. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, and and that's totally cool. I, I I like how our conversations are usually pretty free flowing on this. So yeah. um, I did want to get into a story that you listed here, though, Skip. You talked about the Lord told you to stop praying for a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> when we first moved to Hawaii, nineteen ninety one, believe it was no, yeah, 19, no, ninety ninety. We uh, we got there. And uh, just shortly after we got there, we were supposed to find a house. And we, my wife and I felt like we were going to be moving into the, the nicer, you can't see the air quotes, nicer houses up on the hill, <laughs> uh, which we qualified for. But there was a, a long waiting list for that. And the other houses, they were okay, but they were going to be not as big. And we had seven of our eight kids with us. And uh, so we put our house name on the list for the nicer houses, thinking, okay, the Lord's going to give us a miracle and we'll, we'll get into these nicer houses. Well, right about the time we got there, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and we had all of our forces were moving 
being deployed to the, the Middle East and the, the headquarters I was a part of wasn't getting deployed, but had the potential of being deployed. We started initially in a uh, hotel that the Marine Corps provided us, but they only did that for two months. And then at the end of that time, you either need to be in a housing or in, in housing on base, or you need to be in housing in town. Housing in town was incredibly expensive because we had a large family. And so we're scrambling, trying to find a house, trying to uh, do my job in the Marine Corps. And we ran out of that housing. And now we're really in a situation. There was a uh, little housing, uh, temporary housing facility on base called the Hostess House, where you had a uh, rooms with uh, a couple of uh, kings, queen-size beds and a, uh, a kitchenette. And we were able to get two of those. We call it the hostage house. <laughs> and uh, there was many a night. This went on for a few weeks. Uh, and, there was, and now the kids were going to school, and they needed to have a, an address for school. And there was many a night where I would be out looking up at the stars, praying, Heavenly Father, we really, 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 really need to get into a house. And finally, one uh, one morning when I was praying in that early morning like I could do, it was like the Lord was telling me, stop praying for a Mercedes Benz. There's a, a Janis Joplin song, Oh, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. <laughs> and I realized that what we had been praying for was that Mercedes-Benz house, went in uh, that morning to uh, the housing office, put our name on the other list for the houses that weren't quite as fine. We got into a house there in a couple of weeks. A year later, we moved into the bigger houses that we had felt we were going to get into, but we needed to go through that time frame of struggle and just really let the Lord letting us dangle a bit and worry and know that we had to trust him. And he did. And he came through. You have to understand, this is like a 1,200 square foot house that we were in yeah. like, with seven kids. It was tight. But it also had a place like if you threw a rock from your the backyard, it would land in the water. Like it had <laughs> one of the best beaches. And right cool. beneath the house had this amazing cove for like snorkeling and spearfishing and great surf break right there. So he wasn't it, worried it about was the a small house, but it had some nice perks. Yeah. <laughs> But then the other, the house we subsequently got into also had a good beach right below the. <laughs> well, it was it was good enough that we had kids, high school kids, they would come to our house to change and, and go to the beach, to, you know, and uh, there was all sorts of underwear that got left in our garage. People <laughs> changed clothes and. <laughs> but but Jason, you, you'll appreciate this. It actually had a really nice golf course right beneath the house. I never played. I, I never played golf on that golf course once, but I got a lot of uh, bad looks as I run across it to get to the better break. <laughs> and I used to go back and like at nighttime, I'd go snorkel in the ponds and I'd take up, I'd gather all the the balls and I'd go up and sell them back oh, to the golfers. Got to do that. And I had one time, like I had this. It must have been like fifty or sixty balls, and I had a whole bucket of them. And the guy's like. I'm like, he's like, well, how much are those? I'm like, oh, 50 cents a ball. He's like, I'll give you 20 for the whole bucket. I'm like, just ecstatic. I'm like, man, I just scored. I can go buy this now. <laughs> and this guy's probably walking up like, I have like $150 worth of balls. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it all comes down to, you know, 
in the eye of who's in that, that twenty dollars was really important to me. That bucket of balls was pretty awesome for him. He's <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I I can relate to that story a lot, Skip, because I I found myself in a similar position before, and it it's not it doesn't always feel like we're wishing for the Mercedes Benz. It it feels like everything we ask for is so necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to get that message back from God sometimes to say that, you know, maybe there's some more things down the road, but you're asking for something that isn't core and necessary for your your life right now. You know? The beauty of the, of the Lord is that he will give us what we need, not what we necessarily what we think we want. Yeah. And if as long as we're willing to trust him, uh, we, one of our houses we've had here recently, we had this uh, uh, vinyl on the wall that said, if you can't see the Lord's hand in your life, trust his heart. Uh, can I add a story to this? This is kind of a weird story because it's like, I don't know why I remember this so well, but I just remember, I think it was like third or fourth grade. But I had received as part of some, I don't know what I did, but it's something good. And I received a homework pass, which basically meant that I uh, could get out of one homework assignment that I didn't want to do for free. And I was like, sweet. And I'm, I'm going to wait for a moment where there's, a, there's an assignment. <laughs> I don't want to do this expensive like, work. Thank you very much. Work one day. <laughs> You're like, I really don't want to operate on this guy. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. So the, this assignment came around. I can't remember what it was. But I just remember I was like, all right, I do not want to do this. I'm going to find my homework pass. I cannot find it. I cannot find it at all for a long time. And it, like the more I looked, the more upset I got. And the more, and I started, I started praying about this because I'm like, I need this homework pass. And which it, it's so, it was so stupid. And it was so, and, and then, and I got so like bent on this, on getting this homework pass so I can finish this assignment. That really wasn't that hard. Like, but I remember because I was praying and I was praying about this. And I don't remember, I can't pinpoint very specific times where I've been upset at God, but this is one of them. <laughs> and like third grade, because he would not help me find this stupid homework pass. And then I just remember as clear as day, I got basically just like a spiritual, just kick in the back of the head where it was just like stop trying to get out of this this is you're making this so much harder and and i don't know it was just like we often spend so much time looking for like benefits and perks when we could just we could do it by ourselves and he knows that we can do it and that we have the, the strength and the willpower but we're so, uh, we're just so like bent on being able to get out of it for free. Oh, I, I think that's super relatable, you know. And you, you, I feel grateful for the scriptures for that reason too, because if you find the scriptures, it's not too hard to see a theme of people trying to run away. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, like a little, a little bit of Job, you yeah, know? yeah. I think in this. Like Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, his their work is not to make like and he they want us to be uh, to be reliant on them for guidance, but they do not want us to be 
to make weak things become dependent. Their job is to make weak things to be, become strong, to be able to you're make here. sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. And did that wisdom come from him? I think he just made that up. I've never heard that one before. Yeah. Make weakness <laughs> become dependent. Yeah. Good, yeah. Job. Good job. Good job. Joel is famous, by Quotable. the way. Like, I, <laughs> famous. Sidebar here for a second. If you talk to any of the high school kids around here, he has like his face on a sticker that people collect and like put on the lockers and put in. And I wish I had a sticker. I've been asking for one for a year. But. She's got a special one in her wallet. Yeah. I've never heard of this. How come I oh, don't have a sticker? there's a sticker in Switzerland. <laughs> there yeah. is, there's a sticker that stuck to a, um, like a, a, one of the Wait, things in Switzerland. Joel brought a, a friend. He's international. So yeah. Introduce your, your friend here and, and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about the sticker. This is Emmy. She has she has a special one. So, ba okay. I'm going to give some context so, Emmy, first. you want to come in and introduce the sticker here? And <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay. I'm going to give just context. <laughs> Basically... Here, I can pass it around. This is my my mug shot. Uh, <laughs> basically, this is my passport photo that I got from Walgreens, and they 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 did me dirty. <laughs> and I look so smug, and like I'm just like ready for an MMA fight. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's so bad. There's two of these, and and it's it's Ooh, funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> basically, um, this all started when one of the one of the guys in our ward. Uh, for seminary, we had a whole uh, Secret Santa gift exchange, and he was like, "I have an idea. I'm going to make stickers of your face and give them as a Secret Santa gift exchange." And he's, I was like, "Okay." And so he just takes a picture of me right there, just goes click, and um, lo and behold, a couple of, like a week later, he shows up with this stack <laughs> of just my face on on sticker paper, and it's like all cut out and everything. It was. And I, I don't know why. I thought it was the coolest thing. I still think it's the coolest thing. <laughs> I'm so flattered. They're out there. There are a ton of them out uh, there. Yeah. You need to make him a, what do they call it, an NFT? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, but the thing is, they've become like, it's, and I just started giving them to everybody because I thought they were the neatest things. And it's it's become this whole little cultural thing at my school. Like you go up to any kid in the band and be like, where's your Joel sticker? And they pull up their clear phone case and it's in the back of it. <laughs> yeah, we're the Springfield band kids. It's it's like it's or become the Geneva, a, Switzerland band kids. <laughs> <laughs> Geneva, yeah. It's it's become like a its own currency. Like the 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 I watched an interaction the other day where because there's two of those mugshot pictures, and I watched an interaction between a couple of my friends where he they were like trading back and forth. They're like, <laughs> I will give you three Joel stickers for a Joel mugshot. <laughs> it's like a Pokemon card. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not famous. I'm like, ironically yeah. iconic. Well, then you like, so one thing you might know, not know, Skip, is that he did the art show for our podcast too. So, Oh, oh yeah. I, sh I didn't mention that. I drew I the picture. for that too. How did you think of that? The art for our podcast anyway? Dude, I don't know. <laughs> I just remember, I think I was actually talking about it where I was pitching some ideas. And then right there, I was just sitting there, I was like, you know what would be really cool? And then I then I brought it up, the Angel Moroni. Um, it's supposed to be like any of the lo-fi beats uh, YouTube videos. It's always this very like serene scene of somebody studying at a desk. And it's become this kind of, this cultural thing where people will replicate in all sorts of styles and i thought i don't want to do that it looks so official though so the <laughs> angel moroni with headphones oh that is cool yeah so that's the podcast <laughs> oh 
That's pretty cool. Well, his, his art teacher at graduation came up to my wife and I and commented about his art talent. Oh, that makes me feel special. Yeah. You are so. special. Well, Joel, we're back to you. What what other questions did you want to ask either your dad or, or your grandpa? There was one on here. Uh, see if I can find it. I think it's, um, it's for my father. You, uh, the question was, what role had being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints played in you developing your relationship with Christ? And your answer was, it's through ordinances that the power of God is manifested. And I just, I was hoping you could. Oh, this is a good day to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things, I was actually with, one of the kind of like a themes of, on my mission was um, the power, through the ordinances, the power of God's manifested. And because you think about it is, you know, what brings you closer to God? Um, there's lots of different things. You can do it. You know, we talked about that in, in priest quorum today, right? Where it's, how do you know, how do you know about God versus how do you know God? Yeah. Or, or you know Christ. And I think that the ordinances is how you really be able to develop different relationships. You know, as you're baptized, that's kind of that first step. And you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You're able to to take that first step um, but there's certain things and powers that you feel, you know, as we're our oldest son, who's not with us today, um, Andrew, he, he, we actually just him ordained him an elder. I was like, what happened? <laughs> he, he drove off to Ben. It's podcast He's, competition. He, he was supposed to be at the podcast, but he, he ended up uh, driving up to Ben to do some work. Oh no. I guess um, I but he, that. he was ordained an elder today. And as we we're talking about it, we were talking to him about how, when you are given a blessing, you're not praying for somebody, but you're actually acting as a mouthpiece for God. And you are, and it can be a very intimidating thing that you're pronouncing a blessing um, and how you have to be really in tune with the spirit. But during some of the most spiritual experiences in my life where we're in those pronouncing a blessing. Um, and one of the examples I was given was, you know, was I, I was, when I was in the bishopric, I was laying my hand and I was setting somebody apart as a primary worker. And there was just an intense spirit because I was able to share some things with her and that blessing that was that she just really needed at that moment. And I would never have come it up with on my own. And when you can be that mouthpiece um, and you can feel the love the Savior has for somebody else, there's no way that you can be able to come closer than through those moments. And then there's also, it's just, you know, through the ordinances, you know, that includes ceilings and that includes all the other ordinances that go along with it. And, you know, those are the things that have brought me the most joy in life. It's, you know, knowing that I'll be with your mom and with you guys, you know, for eternity. That's, that has really made it an important impact on my life. Um, and then trying to be able to stay true to those covenants and ordinances. Um, I think if you do that, then everything's okay. But as you can find, you can find great teachings out there anywhere. You can go to any church and they will teach you something that's going to be important. Um, but there's only in the church of Jesus Christ, the, the priesthood is where those power or those ordinances are authorized. And so that's one of the things that makes the church so special. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I like the last thing you said too, which is you, you'll find truth other places and, and, I think that's a misconception maybe I had growing up is that you know we're 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 claiming that we have a monopoly on truth. It, it, you know, it, 
I just think of people I know, pastors that I know that I talk to. Um, I mean, come on, the guy who made The Chosen, you're telling me he wasn't inspired? You know? <laughs> um, I, I think there's a lot of truth and, and valuable things that connect us to Christ, but how we really bind ourselves to him is through those ordinances. Um, not just us, but our families, you know, and yeah. I, I think that's something that I, I love and value from the church. And I would certainly, you know, go along with that. Uh, one of the things you asked here was, what was your favorite calling in the church? And for me, it was serving as a bishop, not because I was important or anything like that, but because you could sit in the same room with someone else when they were feeling the Spirit of the Lord touch their lives and let them know that they were important, that the Lord loved them, and to be able to feel that love. And then to, like Jared was saying, to when you lay your hands on someone's head, and it doesn't happen every time, but it happens a lot, where you can feel the Lord's love for that person as a, as a result of your being a part of that ordinance, and that's incredible. And you, you'll find truth in lots of different places, but not the truth that comes from exercising the priesthood and, and feeling that love that can come no other way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with uh, the thought of the the love that you feel for the priesthood. And and sometimes I actually have to be careful as the Bishop of the Lord now is because sometimes that that feeling of charity and, and the love of God coming through you, it, it's so strong um, that you can almost come across as like gushing if you're not careful. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I... I I just this morning we actually we we started off our bishopric meeting and we we had a member there that needed some help and um they kind of waved us off when we asked like do you want a blessing? It was like no, let's go forward with the meeting. And then we said, No, let's let's give you a blessing now. Um and the the spirit in the room just totally changed from tired, anxious, not wanting to be there at 6.30 in the morning to like just being an uplifting um, and transformative experience that totally changed our discussion that day. So I, I think that's just one example of how that can affect us. Yeah. Cool. Um, so thanks for that, Joel. Jared, does the, what else would you like to talk with your dad about, or or we could probe Joel with a question? Well, you know, I actually want to famous Joel. So I need to talk about famous <laughs> Joel here for a minute because one of the things that you know we we all talked about things we learned from our dad. So I want to tell you something I learned from my son. Um, Joel has it's something that I'm not nearly as good at, but Joel has an ability to really empathize with people and, and at a different level. Um, I think most people, when things that people are drawn to Joel, it says Joel is just genuine. He's a happy person, but he's also just accepting of people for who they are, where they are, and is willing to overlook a lot of things. I remember, and I, I he stole this story, and he's like, I don't even remember this story. But I just remember like when he was in like, again, I think it was second or third grade, one of the teachers sent us a note because they had, well, I do remember this one. one of the kids was kind of a bully to him and was, he was like picking on him. And he had 
something happened at the recess. I can't remember the details. Maybe he can explain it. But they they just needed an ice pack or something. But the kid fell down and got hurt and was just he and he and Joel was just like the one that kind of just put his arm around him, took him down to the nurse's office. And the teacher was really impressed because she had known that this kid had been mean to Joel for a long time. I don't think I realized that he was mean to me. But he, yeah, maybe he's just that. Maybe that's what makes Joel so special. He's just, he's just, oblivious, he's just oblivious to all these things. School to all the things. But he was one that, even though like the kid was not a nice kid to him, like he was willing just to be able to say, you know what, you need help. I'm I'm here to help you. And I think Joel has a way of being able to reach out to people, and that a lot of people don't have. Um, and there's just a genuineness to him that I really admire, and that's something that I think very few people really really pull off um a lot of people and i think myself included are always kind of looking worrying about how other, other people look at me joel is joel and, <laughs> and that's a great thing he's just gonna be himself and and people love him for it thank you thank you for saying that i appreciate that and, it, it, and it's not to say that it's not a skill because i i think that's something that maybe people don't realize is that you can become more genuine with people with work but there are people that are just naturally gifted at that. And I think Joel, for sure, I would reiterate, you know, you're, you're one of those people, definitely. I, at the same time, I mean, so like through a lot of my middle school time, that's kind of where I, a lot of it eventually stemmed from. I, I don't know. There, I was very annoying. I'm going to, I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> I was, I was like people people did not like me because of just how obnoxious I was and then I like I kind of started to pick that up and then also I just eventually I don't know I don't remember when but I kind of just had this like reality check where I'm like I want people to be able to be comfortable being around me or to be able to just feel better and just to be able to be more uplifted and that was something that I worked on. That was something that I actually, <laughs> I read about is just how to engage with people, how to converse and just how, and it's something because, I don't know, I just, I like people and I wanted to be able to extend that further. And so it was something that I did. I, I put work into it, which is it's, it's such a weird thing to put work into. But if you're gonna put work into anything, that's one of those good things to put it into. Is definitely making people uh, feel comfortable, and then you are also one that are <laughs> are open with everyone, regardless of kind of who they are or what they've done or, or anything. And I think that's also an incredibly commendable thing. Yeah. So, I I want to continue on that theme a little bit actually, because I have a story here from you, Skip. Um, that you wanted to talk about what happened when you positively responded to Jared's prompting to serve a mission. And I've heard Jared <laughs> say the story, by the way. So I'm <laughs> well, this would be interesting to see what Jared's take on this is. When I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, when my wife and I retired, we moved to Oregon. And I thought that when we, before we had moved, that I had a job lined up. And when we got to Oregon, that job was no longer there. So now I'm scrambling uh, because my re retirement pay from the Marine Corps would help us pay our bills, but it was insufficient to do everything we needed to do. And uh, so I'm scrambling, doing a lot of different things, trying to just keep the bread on the table and, and gas in the car. And Jared goes off to school and uh, 
comes home and says, I feel like the Lord wants me to go on my mission now. I think that was about the way you phrase it or the- Yeah, I called you from, from school. Yeah. And we're scrambling and I'm going, we don't have, we're just barely getting by. We don't, you don't have any money to, to go on a mission. You don't have any money saved. I know that the Ward's mission fund is empty and not going to be able to help us. So I don't know how we're going to be able to do this. Well, his mother, being the great woman that she is, said, we got to, uh, to support him on this. And uh, I'm going, okay, if the Lord wants him to go on a mission, the Lord's going to figure out how to do this. So Jared comes home, puts in his paperwork, gets ready to go on his mission. He worked for a few months, saved a few, uh, some money, enough to buy a couple of suits and, uh, and put some money into the mission fund. And when he gets called to go on his mission, or when he has a, the farewell, we invited a good friend of ours who is also a, a client of mine at the time, uh, a friend we'd known for years. And, uh, and then Jared was set apart. When he was set apart by the stake president, if I, now you can tell me if this is correct or not. It was my taking on it was that when he was set apart, the mission or the stake president said that he did not have to worry about his finances or about his parents' finances, that that would all be taken care of. And I, to the best of my knowledge, that President Roberts knew nothing about what our uh, financial situation was. Well, a couple of days after his farewell, this friend of mine calls me up and says, Skip, I think you need to, uh, we need to talk to you about coming to work for our company. And I said, well, what do you do? He says, well, we, uh, we place uh, computer programmers and software people on both a, a contract and permanent basis. We're headhunters. And uh, this is computering. And I says, okay, I know nothing about computers. So I can't even spell IBM. <laughs> and uh, he says, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll teach you. Well, the job was mostly commissioned. Jared's money ran out the same time that the commissions started coming in. And uh, if, if it weren't for my wife's, you know, saying we got to support our son, I might not have been as supportive as I could have should have been. But because I listened to her and listening to the Lord, listening to him listening to the Lord, we then went from a time when we were struggling financially to a time when we were doing far better than we ever had. We were able to build the house of our dreams, which we subsequently sold to move on another prompting, but Jared was able to go off on his mission. And we were blessed incredibly for the faith that it took to do that. Now, what's your side? That was pretty much the same side. I think, I think really it was when I first called home, like I was just, you know, I really had felt strongly about it. and. I remember I was, when you told me, no, I couldn't go. I was just kind of almost, I was not almost, I was in tears. And your my mom said, uh, if I have to get a job, we'll, we'll make it work. And mom had MS and was really, really sick at the time. And, and she basically told, told you to stop talking. We're going we're we're to hang up the phone right now and, and we'll call you back later. <laughs> and so we got off the phone. I think she probably read you the riot act. And uh, <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, this is, is that it, when these things come along, it has to be both sides of the marriage talking about working together and, and making, and both of listening to each other 
and then going forth with faith. Without that, it's like in so many things in, in marriage, if you don't have both sides of it there, you're going to have problems. But I honestly think that going back, because I always thought, I, well, I, I need to go right now because there, there has to be somebody that's out there waiting to, to hear me. Like this. something about me is going to And it had nothing to do with anything that I was going to be able to do on the mission, but something that me and my family needed as far as building our own faith and you know the, the way the Lord was going to work through that. And so it wasn't about, again, going back to what I thought I was going to be able to accomplish, but it's what the Lord was going to be able to accomplish through that process. And here's a question, Jared. So you going through that process and living it more as the kid and, and really, you know, young man at that point. Um, how do you think, if, if at all, how do you think that's impacted your approach to, especially your older two children as, as they grow up and, and receive promptings and inspiration of what to do? How has it impacted kind of your role and your approach as, as a parent now? You know, I still haven't learned all those lessons, still learning those lessons. You know, one of the things Drew came home and he's like, yeah, I think I, need, I just need to go straight on my mission. And I was trying to encourage him. I'm like, I think he should try to go to school first, you know, get out of the house, be able to build some 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 skills. And, and he's like, no, I, I think I need to do this. I'm like, well, I think you should just, you know, and then I kind of talked him in to going and applying for school and he didn't get into the school that he wanted to. And, and looking back, he's like, you know what? I knew all along that I was supposed <laughs> to go on this mission now. And here I was trying to impose my will um, to be able to say, this is no, I think is what you should do. And I just needed to stop and say, no, you're right. You do what you feel is right. And that's something I'm, I'm learning still. And now that I've had that experience, I definitely understand. It's like, nope, the Lord's going to do what he needs to do. And my uh, my thoughts and, and judgments, and, you know, I, I need to put them in line with the Lord's, not the other way around. You know, the beauty of the gospel is that no matter how old you are, you can still learn. And yeah. and that, you know, as as you go through this parenting thing, it's it's a continual learning process. You're never there, at least I'm not. I, I, was, I had to give a talk today on the, the sacrament, and, and in the course of preparing that talk, I learned a whole lot of things, and I've been taking the sacrament for 50-some years. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that... <clears throat> That's actually really helpful to hear because it takes some of the pressure off of trying to get quote unquote there. Um, but I, I do think one approach I've, I've tried to take with our kids, especially as they get older is even when they make a decision that I think is probably not gonna be the best for them long-term, I, I wanna stay in the conversation of their life. Um, and be that safe space like our conversation earlier to where if if they do mess up that they can come back to dad that they can come back to mom and and we can talk and my goal at least is to never set such a hard line that i lose my role or my part in the conversation of their life yeah how are we doing on time um, we're getting close to time. Okay. But I've enjoyed the conversation. I'm kind of thinking in my mind too. I'm like, Jared, you're coming back for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot to get through, a lot of people get, to get through before you come back. We'll get Charlotte here for the first time. Can um, I am I able to ask for one more story? Yeah, let's let's do one more and, and kind of wrap up. Does that sound good, guys? All right. Great. Yeah. Um I don't know if this is on the list, but 
this is a story that I always thought was interesting is uh grandpa how you met uh my grandma. I always I, I just it's just an interesting and just fun story in my opinion. Now I gotta be careful about how I phrase this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, summer of nineteen seventy, I was uh Let's see, I had dropped out of uh, Stanford at that point, was uh, invited by my stepmother's unc or brother to go up to northern Wyoming and put a roof on his ranch house. And uh, so I went up there to do that. And uh, in the course of that, one day I went to the, uh, the golf course, the country club with him. He was playing golf. Which you'll appreciate, Bishop. I already appreciate it. And, uh, and I went to the, <laughs> the pool. And uh, the the nature of the work I'd been doing on this uh, ranch house was I'd basically just be in shorts and you know getting a really good tan and you know hauling uh, shingles by hand up the to the roof and uh, was in pretty good shape and well tanned and so I'm out there swimming and uh, Emma sees me and thought they look I look cool because I had long hair longer hair at that time <laughs> actually yeah, I had longer hair, than that. <laughs> I had hair. Uh, and uh, so uh, I went up on the, the deck where she was and uh, just started a conversation. She was dressed, she was a waitress, and so she wasn't dressed really cool because she didn't want people hitting on her, guys hitting on her, the ranchers. And uh, so a few days later, I was at a dance, and this lovely young lady comes up to me and I says, do you remember me? And I go, no, but I really like you. <laughs> and uh, so we started talking and uh, went out in our, my car and we were talking more, talking, really talking about science fiction, the books that we like to read. I grew up reading science fiction. She loves science fiction, Lord of the Rings and, and things like that. And so I, I took her out a, a few days later and uh, now it was way late uh, long after the Holy Ghost has gone to bed, that I'm driving her home, and there was this uh, the 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 in northern Wyoming the sky is huge, and there's just oh. there's just so many stars when it's, particularly when the night is uh, clear as it was, and there's nothing to uh, to get in the way, but way off on the horizon I still have this memory of what the off on the horizon was a thunderstorm and the lightning was flashing and at the time i had the feeling the strongest feeling that god was telling me i was supposed to marry this young woman sitting next to me now i was 21 years old marriage was not in my vocabulary by any way stretch or imagine i was a heathen <laughs> hate to say this but i was every good christian father's worst nightmare <laughs> and uh so I'm driving along thinking about this, and uh, finally I looked over at her and I said, I think I'm supposed to marry you someday. And her comment was something to the effect that that's not going to get you any place either. <laughs> <laughs> Do I clean that up okay? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that's the PG version of it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I took her home, and then I left town. And, uh, and came up into the Northwest. I went to uh, visit a girl I met at school that lived in Astoria and wasn't impressed with her because she was rich and, and just kind of that sort of thing. I, I hung out on the streets of, uh, of Portland by the, uh, the, down by the uh, Keller Center uh, and was thinking about 
this woman, young woman I'd met. And so I figured out, okay, I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to get married, I'm going to have to get my uh, military obligation out of the way because I had a draft number 38 and I didn't want to go in as a, uh, marry her as an enlisted man and just get that out of the way. And then I would uh, go on with life. So I uh, went down to uh, back in Colorado uh, where I'd grown up, went to a Marine recruiter and signed up and was on a delayed enlistment and then went back up to Wyoming. And when I went back up there, I was had a 30 days before I had to go to boot camp. And so when I got back up there, we started hanging out together and just as it got to about a week before I was supposed to go to boot camp, I said, will you wait for me till I get my military obligation out of the way and then we can get married? And she goes, I'm not the waiting kind. <laughs> I go, okay, how about we get married now? <laughs> so a few days later, we're down in, in Denver. My parents were upset because here I'm getting married. and and uh, But at the time I was able to, because I had a couple of years of college, the Marine Corps had this deal where if you were willing to fly and could fly, they would take you right away without a full degree. So I was able to, instead of going to boot camp, I ended up going to Officer Canada's school in, in Virginia. And we, we were married. And then uh, in the process of getting to know her, I learned a little bit about the church. And so we get home. We had known each other all of about three months off and on at that point. So I figured, well, when I was in college, one day I was sitting in a dorm room and I came to the conclusion that of all the institutions of man, the family was the only one of any real value to pass important information from one generation to the next. Not government, not public education, not private education, not organized religion. And so I learned that the church's beliefs in family were important. So I thought, well, maybe I need to learn more about this. So we get back from our honeymoon of two days. <laughs> and uh, it was a Sunday morning. Uh, so I go to church with her stepfather and uh, then go to Sunday school. This one, we were, had three different meetings. And the missionaries were there. They only came by that town every now and then because it was such a small town. And it was just a branch. And so they came and uh, said, uh, I said, I think you guys need to come teach me about your church. Not the sort of thing they heard on a regular basis. But uh, they did, and the first night they came, they knocked on our door. We were living in at the point at that point in time in a little camper trailer. And uh, when they went to knock on the door, and I went to open the door, I remembered a verse of scripture I'd been given nine years prior when I was ordained or confirmed a member of the Lutheran Church. And the scripture was, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and whoso will open the door and invite me to come in, I'll come in and sup with them, and they with me." I thought of that scripture. The only time I'd ever thought of it in the, since I had that experience. So they came in, taught me the uh, their sixth discussion, their canned discussion, said, okay, we're done. Uh, you want to be baptized? And I go, I guess. Didn't have a testimony. Didn't know what a testimony was. <laughs> okay, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. Well, I guess there was one other thing. When, there was one thing. You did gain a testimony. <laughs> I, 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 gained, there. I gained a testimony. 
But it came a little bit at a time, a step at a time, a little bit here, a little bit there. Until now, there's no way that I could deny that testimony. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. Did that answer your question? <laughs> it definitely answered that yeah, question. That's probably great. more than you needed to hear. No, it was great. Well, we, we probably could have done a three-hour show today, but I, I think <laughs> there's some people sitting here that are probably grateful it's not three hours. Um, <laughs> but, um, but my kids included in that conversation who are sitting on the couch. Waiting to watch yeah. TV or... They probably are waiting to watch TV. So final tallies here. We didn't talk about Taylor Swift. No. <laughs> Actually a big T Swift fan. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's a Joel fan? No, yes. but I'm sure she would be if she knew Joel, but her music's fantastic. The fact she doesn't sponsor our show at this point is ridiculous. Yeah, that is absurd. And we need to get Lexi Deck on so we can actually have some legitimate conversations. But dad's a replacement Swifty today. Um, we didn't talk about you guys having your favorite color be blue, and Jared Aww. put BYU blue. In case you're wondering, mine's different. It's yeah. orange. It's orange. Okay. Nice. Yes. Yeah. My my favorite color color was blue, to be honest, but it just did. Well, okay. now I feel all different. It's green or yellow now. I don't know. <laughs> um. Yeah, we use a lot of that R word that we don't usually use, the restraint. Restraint. And, and not talking about BYU. Yeah. That was good. That's all right. I feel like we said the word epitomize <laughs> like five times. And, and Joel, he did really good. Thank you. I, I feel like this could be a thing for you if you want it to be. I like that idea. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, let's see. Big Country, my oldest son, Levi. Do you want to do you want to time or? Sure. Okay. Although I do would like to point out that uh, in addition to Big Country, he we, he also would like to go by Leviticus. Yes. <laughs> Racing Stripes is also acceptable. So I, I think you got to ask the last question, Levi, last but you question. have to ask it how it plays in the context of their family, though. Yeah. So let's let's go. I'll let, take uh, over. But I don't know what this question is. You three will do all of you guys. Uh, what role had being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ played in your relation in you developing a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who are we starting with? You. Ah, well, no, I can't think. Okay. Um, can you say that one more time, or you can s somebody near the mic say it? Yeah, I think so. The the role of the church has played in you connecting with Jesus Christ. And I would say specifically that it's played in your family connecting with Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah, you heard it from you heard it from my grandfather that he was the 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 family is one of the most pivotal uh, fun the units like in existence and being able to be a part of the the church was a great way of being able to strengthen that. And I think if, as you've heard like time and time again, how important family is to us, I think there's so much pure love to be able to be found and both the church life and just in our family life that we've been able to reflect and that's something that's always rung true for my own personal testimony is that pure and talking to other people like this one friend I was talking to and she was like, people here aren't backhanded and I don't know why. And I, I just thought that was so wild because I'm just so used to this, but it's true. Like this is, there's so much genuine, just, just love 
and gratitude and just like community that I love to know that I'm a part of. And that has been one of the biggest testimony builders for me is just being able to look at what I've been through and what I've been through with uh, my church and with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and be able to say, that was good. That was, this is, this is good. And I'm so glad to be able to have that. You know, I really can't think I ever answered it. Joel kind of answered this question to me earlier, so I'll uh, I'll keep this really brief. But I think I think the way, in addition to you know the ordinances, it's just those principles that it teaches. You know, one of the things that Charlotte and I were, you know, as we we're getting ready to get married, there were some things that were taught to us or shared with us, and that was one is always read scriptures and and say prayers together as a couple. And as I've done, we've done that as a family, you know, as a couple, and then as a family. I think that has offered a lot of strength. And just being able to have that time um, to be able to commune with God, but also really to commune with each other. You know, sometimes you're so busy with every t- day that we would kneel, be kneeling down by our bed and just holding hands, you know, getting ready to say our prayers. And we'd have some of our m- most important conversations um, right there alongside the bed. And so just those things and um, those teachings have, have really blessed our family um, in a lot of different ways. And of course, you know, all the things I already said about ordinances, then I'll, that's it. I'll turn time yeah. to you. You know, everything that's been said here, I fully agree with. Uh, as, you, as you mentioned, kneeling at your bed, there's been many a time when Emma and I would kneel by our bed and we would pray that there would be other people out there raising up children like Charlotte that our children could marry and that would bless our lives, our, them and our children and their children. And that that is prayer has been answered. But in for me, in this church, I've come to be in situations where I could know and recognize Christ's love in my life and the lives of others around me. Before I joined this church, I learned about Jesus Christ, but as a member of this church and in in exercising the priesthood and, and being a part of the ordinances that Jared mentioned and the things that we're able to do, I've come to know that Christ's love is real and that our Father in heaven is real and he loves us and he wants only what is best for us. And that has been just a huge blessing for me and just continues on and it just keeps getting better every year. Thank you so much for being on, guys. I know that this was a busy day. We had a lot of graduation parties. We had Drew's ordination. So I'm just so grateful that you guys took an hour and a half out of your day to be with us. Um, and Jared, I prob- we probably will bring you back on soon, <laughs> to be honest. So, <laughs> I wouldn't right. mind that either. But if I could just say one other thing. I'm grateful to have been able to be here, to be a part of this, to gain another insight into what a great young man Jared has grown up to be, as as I see evidence in Joel. (laughs) A thing a father wants is to know that his children are being successful. And I've seen evidence of this tonight. And so thank you for being able to be a part of this, to see that. Absolutely. All right. Till next time, guys. Look forward to connecting with you soon. This episode of the Connection Podcast. We're on most podcast carriers, so please like and subscribe. The show's art is done by Joel Boreen, and the music is provided by Drew Boreen. We look forward to connecting to you next time. Until then, take care. <laughs>